Once again, thank you for being with us this morning. We are so glad that we are able to come together as a church and worship the Lord together. If you were able to be with us last Sunday morning, it will be as no surprise to you that we are in Galatians again this morning. Last Sunday morning, I started a sermon series on the book of Galatians. Last Sunday, we were in chapter 1, and we covered verses 1 through 10. So we are still going to be in chapter 1 this morning. The plan is to begin with verse 11 and continue through the end of chapter 1, which is verse 23. And I wanted to just remind you briefly of some things that we heard last Sunday. First of all, Paul is writing this letter, the book of Galatians, to the churches in the region of Galatia. And as we said last week, Galatia is not a specific city. Instead, it's a region of that particular area of the world. And I remember making the statement last week, if I were to say so-and-so is from south-central Kentucky, you wouldn't necessarily know the specific city or town that they were from, but you would know the general area of the country that south-central Kentucky is represented by. It was sort of the same when Paul references Galatia. And I will tell you just for our understanding this morning that it is located in the part of the world that we now know as Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And again, this particular letter was not written to any one specific church. It's written to all the churches in that particular re- in that particular region. Paul is writing this letter because some false teaching has worked its way into the church into the churches, and they had not only heard the false teaching, they had started acting on it. And here's what the false teaching was. The false teachers were teaching that in order to be saved, not only did you have to believe in Jesus, but you also had to comply with the Mosaic law in order to be saved. Now, the title of last week's sermon was No Other Gospel. And you know we looked at the Scripture last week and proved that any other gospel, anything that says it's a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is really no gospel at all. It is a false gospel. Our salvation is based on Jesus, only Jesus. And one final thing before we look into God's Word this morning. We talked last week about the fact that when, as Christians, in today's world, through the lens of today's world, when we stand firm upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not going to be popular through the eyes of the world. People will say things about us. They will talk about us, some to our face, most behind our backs, when we defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you this morning, just as I did last week, we've got to defend the gospel. And it is so worth it. Anything that we might go through on earth is temporary. What's coming is eternal. It is so worth it to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as always, if you've got your Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible this morning. We will have the scripture on the screen for you as well, but I'd encourage you to follow along in your Bible. And as Brother Blake and I routinely challenge you to do, take what you hear preached from this pulpit and any other pulpit and compare it directly to God's word. 
That's your responsibility as a Christian. Please don't take that lightly. So this morning, we are beginning with verse 11. And before we read that particular section of verses, I want to remind you that just like last week, our text, verses 1 through 10, fit into some big overall chunks of Scripture. This morning's text is going to do that same thing. The first chunk is verses 11 and 12. And as we prepare to read that, I just want to ask you a question. Why was Paul's gospel of grace actually true? Why was Paul's gospel of grace based solely on Jesus Christ true? The answer to that is because it came directly from God. It came directly from God. Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, had you ever known somebody that appeared to be very, very bold in the beginning? Maybe they would make a bold statement. And then the instant that somebody asked a question, the very instant that somebody might challenge the statement that they've just made, it seems like their boldness suddenly starts to diminish. Sometimes it disappears when they're questioned about something. Let's be clear, Paul was not like that. Paul's story did not change. Paul stayed true to the gospel that he was preaching, and we are going to see that in this morning's text. He is telling us here, he is telling these churches that the gospel that's preached by him is not man's gospel. He's saying, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're seeing happen here is Paul is making his case. He is describing the source of the gospel. We're going to see here that his story is not changing. He is holding to the truth, the source of the gospel. Now, it's important for us to know and to understand here that the Judaizers, that's the group that was challenging Paul here. The Judaizers are the group that says salvation is not only based on Jesus, it's based on Jesus plus something. In this particular case, they were saying it was based on Jesus plus observing the Mosaic law. But this group of people... They were at such odds with Paul that they wanted to discredit him. They, they were willing to do it basically any way they could. But one thing that they knew is that if they could undermine Paul's authority of being an apostle, that they could defeat the message that Paul was preaching, which was a message of liberty. Now, Paul is defending his message here, and he's def- defending the fact that he is actually an apostle of Jesus Christ. Remember that the Judaizers are saying that Paul is perverting the gospel because he's saying that salvation is only based on Jesus Christ. That's what their claim was, that Paul was perverting the gospel because he says that salvation is only based upon Jesus Christ. 
Now, what this group of people is actually saying, what they actually mean is that Paul is perverting their gospel. Paul is perverting their gospel the way that they see it, the way that they are teaching it. Even though their gospel's false, they don't see it that way. They think Paul is perverting the gospel. Instead, it's them who are perverting the gospel because they are making legalism a part of salvation. And again, legalism has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is based on Christ alone. And I want you to know this morning that the things that we are seeing this morning in this text, it has some direct application to us today. And you might be wondering about right now, well, how how does it apply to us? Well, here's one of the ways that it applies to us. When we as Christians stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're likely to hear a statement like, you know, Jesus loved everybody. How come you're not loving like Jesus did. You know, you'll be accused of being hateful. You'll be accused of being judgmental. You may even be accused of perverting the gospel because you're holding true to the gospel. Because you are holding true to the source of the gospel. Accusations will likely be made against you. Church, I want you to hear me this morning. The time is now for us to put on our spiritual armor. We are in a battle. Do you have your spiritual armor on this morning? So we see here in verses 11 and 12 that Paul begins to present a reason why the Galatians should listen to him And why they should not listen to the false teachers. It's because he's saying the gospel is not man-made. The gospel is not man-made. Remember I asked you a question earlier about whether you've known somebody who was bold at the beginning. But then once somebody starts to apply pressure that their boldness sort of disappears. Again, I want to remind you this is not Paul. This is not the Apostle Paul. He stays true. His boldness does not diminish at all. Remember, he is saying that this is not man's gospel. It's not man's gospel. He did not receive it from any man, nor was he taught it, but he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to take us back to verse 1 from last Sunday's text where Paul tells this group of people in these churches that he is an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He tells us his credentials at the very, very beginning. Now as we go back to verses 11 and 12, no human mind apart from God's revelation. Look how he's he's telling them that he received this through a revelation of Jesus Christ. No human mind apart from God's revelation. Got a hair driving me crazy on my glasses this morning. 
Isn't it amazing how Satan will interject things to try to cause us to go off course? That was a hair, one of my hairs across my glasses, and it looked like a snake on my glasses this morning going right in front of my eyes, and I thought, it will eventually fall off. I've been dealing with it for five or six minutes now. It wasn't moving, except when it was waving. The enemy will stop at nothing. The enemy will truly stop at nothing in order to keep God's word from being heard. But going back, Paul received this message through a revelation of Jesus Christ. No human mind, apart from God's revelation, could possibly dream up a plan of salvation that was solely dependent upon God's grace and the death of Jesus Christ, which is God's Son. So remember, Paul's reason that he's already told them that the Galatians should listen to him instead of listening to the false teachers is the gospel is not man-made. So that leads to this conclusion. If the gospel is not man-made, then where does it come from? Where does it come from? It has to be God-made. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God-made. Now, the Galatians had been taught by humans. They had originally been taught by Paul, but then later by the false teachers, which they gave into. Now, Paul had been taught directly by Jesus Christ, the highest authority. The gospel of grace that Paul preached is true. Why is it true? Because it came directly from God through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you a question this morning that we sort of touched on last week as well. Why do you suppose that it was easier for these, false te- for these people in the churches to give in to the false teaching than it was for them to believe Paul's teaching that was true? Why was it easier for those people to believe something that wasn't true as opposed to believing the truth? What was true? Well, here's one of the reasons that I think it happened. As humans, we seem to have this need for everything to make sense. It was easier for these people to believe that salvation must be difficult. After all, eternity is based on it. So, therefore, they were thinking it must be difficult. So it was easier for them to believe that salvation must be based on Jesus plus something. Like Jesus plus keeping this long set of legal requirements that basically nobody could could keep anyway. But they thought that that was how you got to heaven. And we know that that's not right. But, you know, we see it all the time today. We do. We see it all of the time today. There are so many people that, that I come into contact with routinely, I feel like that you do too, that believe that salvation, their salvation is based on, yes, I was saved at an early age, but here's what I do. I do this, this, and this. I show up and serve. I do this, I do this, I do this with the hope that by the end of their life that they're going to do more good things than bad. And, oh, yeah, I do, I do know Jesus, too. They believe that's how they get to heaven. And, folks, I'm going to tell you, we can't possibly do enough good things on our own to get to heaven. There's only one way that we get to heaven, 
And that is through Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, as we move into this next section of verses, and by the way, that's the other big chunk of how our our text divides today, verses 13 through 24 in a chunk, and we are going to see here the truth of the gospel presented. And I think it's going to be interesting. In fact, I find this very interesting, and I find it amazing. We're going to be talking about this in just a few minutes, that what Paul uses as support is what? He uses his life as support to present the truth of the gospel. And as we begin to look at this section of verses, I just want to ask this question of myself and also of you. Can my life, my own personal life, can I use it to defend the gospel like Paul did? Can you use your personal life? If you are here this morning and you are truly in Christ, can you use your life to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 13, Paul begins to talk about the life change that he has experienced. And can we just say he experienced a radical life change? For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now, can we just say for a moment that what Paul experienced was a miracle? He was previously known as who? Saul. He persecuted Christians. He persecuted the church. He was on this road called the Damascus Road, and what happened? He had an encounter with Jesus, and his life changed. It changed in many ways. It was a radical conversion. He went from being a persecutor of Christians to being one of the greatest preachers who has ever lived. He went from being a persecutor of the church to being one of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known. That's what the gospel does. When it gets hold to somebody, there will be a radical change. And I want us just to understand this morning, as we are talking about Saul's conversion, who later became known to us as Paul, that it was truly a miracle. His conversion was truly a miracle for Jesus to take somebody who had persecuted Christians and had persecuted the church and completely changed their life and used them as a remarkable, a powerful preacher and missionary. Used him as the man that would write more of our New Testament than any other man. It can be listed as nothing other than a miracle. But you know what else is a miracle? You know what else is a miracle this morning? When Jesus saved me at the age of nine years old, it was just as much of a miracle as it was when he saved Paul. Just as much of a miracle when Jesus saved me as it was when he saved Paul. And you might be asking, how can you say that? 
because you were just nine years old. On that night that I realized that I was lost as a nine-year-old boy, when I realized that if I were to die in the night that night, that my eternity would be spent in hell. Here's what I realized that night. That those sins that were in my life at that moment in time, those were the very sins that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. If you're in Christ this morning, you can say the same thing about your sins. Your sins and my sins are what sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He died for us. One of the things that I said last week, and I think I said the last time that I, that I preached on Sunday morning, I always want to preach to you out of a heart of love. And I also want to tell you that there is hope. No matter how you arrived this morning, no matter what baggage you may have brought in here with you, this morning, no matter what you are going through in your life at this moment in time, can I tell you that Jesus Christ is sufficient? He is our hope. He is the hope for the world today. I wonder, do you know this man named Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has what? Come. Folks, that's exactly what happens. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. Why? Because the new has Come. Now Paul begins here in verse 13 by reminding the Galatians of the person that he used to be. He persecuted the church of God greatly and he tried to destroy it. In verse 14 he reminds them that he was advancing personally in Judaism beyond many of his own age among his own people. He was so extremely zealous for the traditions of his father. I want you to know this morning that prior to Saul's conversion, prior to Paul's conversion, guess who he would have supported? The false teachers. Prior to Paul's conversion on that Damascus road, he would have had no issue with what the false teachers were preaching and teaching. But now he's met Jesus and everything has changed. So what exactly was it That changed. It was his heart and his life that had been transformed. We see in verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone I did not immediately consult with anybody. And we're going to drill in on that here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to make sure that you still remember from last week what Paul's mission was. 
After Jesus saved him, his mission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And can we say praise the Lord for that? And you know why that is so significant? Guess, guess which category that we would fit in this morning? We would fit in the Gentile category. Are we thankful for Paul? Are we thankful that his mission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles? I wonder this morning, who are we taking the gospel to? Now, I want us to spend some time with this last phrase in verse 16. I did not immediately consult with anyone It's important for us to know and to understand that Paul did not enter the work of being a missionary and develop the gospel message on his own. God was responsible for all of that. It was God that called Paul. Now this allows Paul to show that both his conversion and his commission were from God. They were not from any man. Paul's conversion from being a persecutor to being a preacher could only be explained or described as a miracle from God. It was great proof that he was for real, that he was authentic, and it proved his authority as an apostle. What better credentials could anybody have for ministry? Now, as we look at that last phrase in verse 16, this was the phrase that I believe tore his opposition all to pieces. When he tells them, hey, look, I did not consult with anybody. God had shown Jesus Christ to Paul. This was the basis of his apostolic office. I'm getting tongue-tied. For only somebody who had witnessed Jesus personally and could testify of his resurrection personally met the requirements of being an apostle. Now, when Paul, who was previously Saul, met Jesus on that Damascus road, Jesus appeared to him in person and radically changed his life. And from that moment on, Jesus lived in Paul. And from that moment on, Paul lived a life that represented Jesus Christ. And guess what happened? During that time, Jesus worked through Paul to reveal himself to others. You know, Jesus works through people. Jesus worked through Paul to reveal himself to others. Paul's mission, as we said before, was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So let's look exactly about how Paul trained for that mission. You know, after Paul's conversion, he could have decided to go to Jerusalem, to spend time with the other apostles, to learn directly from them. But that is not what he did. That is not what he did. Remember, he tells us here at the end of verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone. In verse 17, he says, I didn't go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away. He went away into Arabia. And then he returned again to Damascus. 
You might wonder, so why Arabia? Why would he go to Arabia when he could have gone to Jerusalem to sit and study with and learn from the other apostles? His purpose in going to Arabia was to get away. To get away. To pray. To study. And to be alone with the Lord. We see in verse 18 that he was there for three years. Three years. After that is when he went to Jerusalem. Now it's important that we don't minimize this three-year period of time. Let's be really clear about what's happening during this three-year period of time. Paul was praying. He was studying the Word. And he was spending time alone with the Lord. We can't minimize that. During this time, Paul was being personally trained by Jesus himself. Personally trained by Jesus himself. Why would Paul go and learn from the apostles when he could learn directly from Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? We simply cannot minimize the importance of us, any Christian, spending time alone with the Lord. I wonder this morning, what's your alone time with the Lord look like? What does it look like? And I realize people are so busy today. I realize that. And sometimes when I ask somebody, hey, tell me, tell me what does your alone time with the Lord look like? The response I get is, I'm I'm too busy. I'm too busy to devote that kind of time to the Lord. There's so many other things I've got to do. And folks, remember, I said earlier that any time I preach, that my desire is always to preach out of a heart of love and also to point you directly to Jesus and to the cross. But out of that heart of love this morning, can we just acknowledge that no matter how busy our lives may be, we find time to do the things that we really want to do. We find time to do that. And I want us to know and understand this morning, if if we can't find time in our daily schedule to spend time alone, alone with Jesus... Again, I'm speaking out of a heart of love this morning. But if we cannot find time daily to spend time with Jesus, something is wrong. At a minimum, priorities are out of order. We've got to make time, spending time alone with Jesus a responsibility. Not only a responsibility, I've used the wrong word. What's the word? Priority. Priority, not a responsibility. Paul had been taught by the Lord for three years. And now he could fellowship with the other apostles as a peer, not as a student. He could communicate with them as a peer, no longer as a persecutor. And as we begin to look at verse 20... 
we, we see that the heat of the argument with Paul's opponent becomes really obvious here. In fact, Paul is swearing an oath before God. That's how serious it is. In verse 21, we see that now he goes to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And it says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And you know, it, it's, no, it's no wonder that he was still unknown to those churches. He had only spent a few days there. But you know, after he leaves to go to Syria and Cilicia, do, do you know why that he went? It's because he realized that people were trying to kill him. People were trying to kill Paul. Acts 9.29, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And I think what's remarkable here, even though Paul knew that they were trying to kill him, they were looking for any opportunity to kill him. He did not let that weaken his evangelistic efforts. Isn't that remarkable? If any of us knew that somebody was personally trying to kill us if we tell another person about Jesus Christ, what would we do? How often do we allow, allow our opposition to weaken our evangelistic efforts? And you know, this morning, sometimes I think we've got to realize that our opposition sometimes is planted in our minds by the devil to keep us or to try to keep us from sharing Jesus. Maybe it's something like this. Maybe you entertain a thought like, you know, I'm afraid to share the gospel. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm afraid to share the gospel. What if they ask me a question I don't know? That opposition is, has been put in our minds by the enemy. Some things, sometimes we've got to do some things that might not be comfortable if we want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 22, again, Paul is affirming that he was unknown to the, basically to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And then in verses 23 and 24, I think are beautiful verses. Here's what the people were saying. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Isn't that remarkable? He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Is that not a remarkable testimony? That somebody can glorify God because of Paul. That somebody could glorify God because of me. That somebody could glorify God because of you. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. I want to remind you this morning as we prepare to close that salvation is based only on Jesus. Not Jesus plus anything. And we always want to give you an opportunity 
to accept Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that there has never been that time in your life where you ask for forgiveness of your sins. And we were talking about Bible school earlier and that Miss Laura is going to be meeting with the, the VBS volunteers after church today. You know, I've, I've said often that accepting Jesus, it really is exactly what is taught in Bible school. It really is the ABCs of salvation. It's not hard to accept Jesus. It's not hard to accept Jesus. Sometimes following Him is much, much more difficult than accepting Him. But it's, it's not hard to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Sometimes we're guilty of making it too hard. Sometimes we're guilty of making it, you've got to do this, 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 and this. It's not like that. It's Jesus, only Jesus. We've got to be able to admit that we're a sinner. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He lived a perfect life, that He had a ministry right here on this earth that contained absolutely no sin, and that He loved me and you so much, and the rest of mankind, He loved us so much that He was willing to die for us on the old rugged cross. And it doesn't stop there. He died on that cross. He was buried. He was put in the tomb. And then three days later, he arose. That's why we celebrate Easter this morning. It's why I think we should celebrate Easter every day, not just once a year. But we've got to believe that Jesus did all of those things. And then the C of the ABCs is that we've got to confess our sins And that includes repenting, saying I'm sorry. And that repenting also includes turning from that sin. It doesn't mean staying in it and thinking that everything is going to be okay simply because I've said Jesus is my Savior. That's not how it works. If you're truly in Christ, you're going to be convicted of sin. You will not want to stay in sin. So that's the first group of people that I want to speak to this morning, the ones that perhaps have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to come today. Don't wait another day. You may not have another day. Let it be today. Second group of people that I want to talk to this morning, or maybe you found yourself this morning convicted of knowing, hey, I'm not spending enough time alone with the Lord. I want to encourage you to start today. Start today. You can start today. Today can be a new, the beginning of a new chapter in your life where you do truly put Jesus in first place. But I would encourage you, if that's you, come and, come and kneel here at this altar. Have a conversation with Jesus that you are going to make him as a priority from this point forward. And then the third group of people that I want to talk to today, maybe you're here this morning and you realize that GBC is the church that I want to unite with. I'd encourage you to come. We would love to talk to you about church membership. But whatever that Jesus is knocking on your heart's door this morning, I'd invite you to come. And it may be something like, you know, I realize I've got a testimony. I realize that I have got a testimony to share. Do you realize that you will be able to reach people with your testimony that I might not even be able to reach? They might know you and not know me. 
we need to be willing to share. Maybe you want to just come this morning and have a conversation with Jesus that, hey, I'm going to share my testimony. Whatever it is this morning, I invite you to come. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have been able to spend in your word this morning. Father, I pray that we will all realize that we do indeed have a testimony. I pray that we will not be bashful about sharing it. I pray that we will not be ashamed to share our story, our testimony. I pray that we will share you boldly with the world. Father, I thank you for the example that we are able to see that you've given us through your servant Paul, through his radical transformation. Father, I pray that we will see transformation in this place this morning as well. And I pray that you will be glorified in and through it. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.